Welcome to Painting Corners, your weekly podcast for all things baseball. Now, here are your hosts, Austin Hartsfield and Dave Kwiatkowski. Welcome to Painting Corners. This is episode three, three, the number of runs that the Cubs fans wish they had. So my name is Austin Hartsfield. Dave Kukowski is with me as always. Dave. Hey, I'm there. I wish the Cubs got three runs too because I said they were going to win. Yeah, we all said that they were going to win, but Rocktober continues. And uh, let's go ahead and cap the AL wildcard game real quick. Uh, not what we wanted. Not what we wanted at all, actually. As predictors and Red Sox fans, yes. Obviously, I think the Athletics would have been an easier series, especially since how their starting pitching has been the past month or so. It's been oh, banged up. Lack of starting pitching? Lack of starting pitching, exactly. And their bullpen, I mean, it can't pitch every night, right? You saw that in 2016 with Cleveland. You know, they pitched all the way to Game 7 of the World Series, but that's when it went downhill. And the Athletics got bounced early out of Yankee Stadium. The Yankees did what they do. They hit home runs. They hit long fly balls. Although it would have been outs in most stadiums, but that's why they play at home, and they absolutely trounce the Athletics seven to two. That's why home field advantage matters. Yeah, that's why winning 108 games was so important for the Red Sox this year because they have home field advantage, and that's why winning that one game in you know 163 game for Milwaukee was so big because not only do they have home field advantage against the Rockies, they didn't have to play that wild card game like the Cubs did. So, for anybody who's not, like, a diehard baseball fan and doesn't know, like, the dimensions of every park, we complain about Yankee Stadium so much because combined from the combined distance to left field and the combined distance to right field is actually, I think it's, like, 626 or something, something crazy like that. I think it's 312 and 314 to the two two fields crazy and then it's only like 402 to center which is absolutely asinine considering we have the triangle that's 420 out there and we have a big wall that's at least blocking our 307 and our bullpen is 380 yeah pesky poles like 310 but that's only one specific spot in you the have entire... to slice it out yeah you gotta you gotta get lucky to hit it there basically and and even out there it's and then it starts to go round out to 360 380 so yeah uh chris davis got his home run which, I mean, it really doesn't matter now. But it was a nice way to end a season for him, you know, being able to say that he hit a home run in the postseason. Aaron Judge looks healthy, actually. which Looks great. Yeah, looks great. Hands look great. Uh, Stanton, you know, looked like he had a little bit of nerves until, the, until he hit his home run. But uh, it was his first postseason game, so I don't blame him for that one. No, not at all. And I don't know if it's a hot take, but I think Aaron Judge will have a better career than Giancarlo Stanton. No, I don't think it's a hot take. I don't think it's hot take. I think it's pretty fair at this point. Yeah, so let's go to the NL wild card. Uh, let's talk about Javi's hug real quick. First of all, <laughs> I loved it. I yeah, loved it. It was amazing. We put the V in valuable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love stuff like that. I mean, I'm all for, you know, knocking people out and, you know, running Batista. through guys at third. But, you know, yeah, Batista, I mean, it, whatever happens, happens. But at the same time, it was called dead in the water. These guys all know each other. I'm sure 90% of them like each other, right? I don't think Odor and Batista text during the offseason, but, you know, other guys do. And a lot of guys train together or know people that train together and just came up through a system together. So to just see something like that, especially in a high-intensity game like that, it, it was nice to see. Yeah, it was nice to see, uh, you know, 
Rocky fans screaming that it's interference. I mean, if Nolan would have tried to finish the play, I would understand, but he really didn't try to finish the play. No, he was taking the out. He knew he that's all he had. Yeah, so, plus Javi could have ran backwards for all he cared. Like, yeah, I mean, Nolan hugged him as well. I mean, Nolan could have pushed through him. He could have punched him. He could have tried to throw the ball and, you know, flop on the ground. He could have just ran around them. He he knew that's all he had, and they just, you know, they had a moment. Yeah, John Lester was playoff John Lester, but Kyle Freeland was better. Yeah, uh, Lester was nails, pitched a great game. Should have stayed in. You know, Madden, once again, was outmanaging himself. But the big thing was... You know, Kyle Freeland, the 25-year-old, you know, second-year guy. He had an unbelievable year out there in Colorado. I believe it was a 285 ERA. In Colorado. Like, we in have Colorado. to underline that. Yeah, that, that should have a big asterisk, you know, bold letter italics next to it. He, he played great, and he went out there, and he was pumping. You know, he usually throws 91-92 with great movement and pinpointing stuff, and he was throwing 94. You know, he was jacked up. He was ready to go, and... You know, the commentators are saying, you know, they're polar opposites. You went with the veteran who's been there before and proved it. And they could have went with Hamels. They could have went with Quintana again. Well, they could have went with Quintana instead of, you know, Lester there and flip-flopped the games. They had options. But they went with the veteran and they went with the young guy in Colorado. But for anybody that's a baseball fan or a Red Sox fan, you know that John Lester has been nailed since day one. But you have to give the young guys a shot. Lester was young when he got his shot. You know, and Freeland was young here. So Freeland now made his name for himself, and we'll see what he can do later on in the postseason. But if he continues to do this, he's going to turn into a Lester Bumgarner type. Yeah, and that's exactly what I was about to say. You know, we all know Madison Bumgarner as this amazing postseason pitcher because he is. I mean, he's one of the best. Lester, in my opinion, is the best. Obviously, Bumgarner has had more recent success. But no, I guess not. I guess Lester uh, had the 2016 postseason. But anyway, yeah, let's say 2016. Either way, they're both 1A, 1B at that point, yeah. Lester and uh, Bumgarner. They're, they're anti-David Price at this point in his playoff career, but we'll get to that later. Uh, let's talk, continue to talk about this Colorado team. They were resilient. They looked really good. So they are actually playing the Milwaukee Brewers. So kind of give us a rundown on this series and what you think is going to happen. You're going to see a lot of runs, a lot of home runs, a lot of runs. These two pitching staffs aren't their strong suit, I would say. I think their lineups are. And playing in Colorado for two games, or minimum one, I mean, the ball's going to fly out of there. You get a couple MVP candidates there, and Christian Yelich and Nolan Arenado, although I think it's Yelich's to lose at this point. You got Trevor Story, who can absolutely mash. You got Low Kane. You got all these guys up and down the lineup in both lineups that can hit the ball and hit it hard. And you're going to see some runs, and it's going to be good. It's going to be a good series. I think a game like the AL wildcard when it was 7-2, to two, a lot of runners were on base, too. I mean, Oakland lost that game themselves. They had bases loaded, runners on first and second, multiple, multiple innings. You're going to see that. Yeah, you're going to see that in this Rockies-Brewers series. You're going to see a lot of base runners. You know, you're going to see a lot of hits, and you're going to see some home runs, especially in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, the ball's going to fly out of Colorado, and, I mean, Miller Park's no Little League Park, but, I mean, the ball tends to fly out of there, too. Yeah, I mean, you got big guys sitting out there. You got Travis Shaw, you got Mustakis, and you got some big, thick boys out there that are just going to grip it and rip it. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the Brewers win this series. And if you don't know why Coors Field is what it is, it's because of the altitude. The ball tends to fly out of that ballpark, produce more runs. You know, 
And uh, comparing the averages between the Rockies' home and road stats, I mean, they're hitting 287. They're slashing 287, 350, at home. Makes sense. They're at Coors. That's a very high average. Uh, on the road, they're hitting 225, 295, 370. So, I mean, a vast difference there. And the problem here is that the Brewers, because they beat the Cubs in their one-game playoff, have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. Not only that, but have home field in this series. Yeah, which will be very big, and they need to defend home home court, if you will, home field. They need to do that because playing, you know, if they lose one of these first two games, you got to go to Colorado where balls are going to be flying out and it's not part of the game plan, and that's where the Rockies play their best baseballs at home. So, you know, I'm actually going to say the Rockies win this series because I feel like they're a little charmed, and if they can steal one or two out of the Milwaukee, then they're going to make it interesting, and the safe picks the Brewers, but I'm going to go with the Rockies just because they look like the 07 Rockies where they played a play-in game, they had Matt Holiday on the team. You know, a lot of similarities to that team. Yeah, I mean, played two playing games, really. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, uh, the key for the for the Rockies is going to be the bullpen. I mean, you got to have guys like Adovino, you know, Wade Davis. Adovino looked awful last night, by awful. the way. I hope he got the jitters out. Two nights ago, horrendous. Yes. Yeah, he looked awful. If he can be what he was all year and Wade Davis can be what he's going to be all year, all right, so the eighth and ninth inning are locked up. Boom, there you go. You just need one guy for the seventh. Get your pitchers to the sixth inning. Well, it's not think, that hard. I think that guy's Sung Won Oh. Like, oh, oh, that's right. They traded for O from the Blue Jays. Yeah. They're just seventh inning guy. So if your starters can give you six, the bullpen's going to take over in Colorado. Moak is going to have a tough time. Even if they get you five, they'll bring in somebody. Yeah, so, I mean – you have guys like Scott Oberg who's going to be big in that series in that bullpen. So this Rockies bullpen is going to have to come up big. And that is a Brewers bullpen that's no slouch. You really have to get to them where they're weakest. And in my opinion, that's the starting pitching for Milwaukee. Milwaukee's starting pitching is nothing to gloat about. It's nothing to be excited about if you're a Brewers fan. I think it's the weakest starting pitching of any of the National League teams and maybe anybody in the playoffs as a whole. So you have to attack them when their starters are out there because it's going to be hard to hit off this bullpen. Yeah, 100%. I agree. I mean, you look at the Braves, they might have the best rotation in the National League, right? They're unbelievable. Yeah. The Dodgers, you know what they got. The Rockies have Freeland, who already you know proved it and had a great year. And Freeland's better than anybody on Milwaukee. And even in general, I mean, Cleveland and Houston, they're absolute horses, they're wagons. The Red Sox, you know, Chris Sale, Cy Young candidate, David Price, since the second half, has turned himself into a you know, Cy Young candidate. And the Yankees have Severino. So I think the Brewers are in trouble if they don't go deep into the game with their starter, and they're going to have to get creative if they want to win this series. Well, and they're, they're not going to go deep into the game with the starter because Craig Council is starting off the series with a bullpen game, which is very, very interesting in my opinion. It happened twice now, two days in a row, as the Athletics did that last night as well, and it did not work out. No, and I think they picked the wrong starter to start that. The, the wrong person to start that game. Liam Hendricks wasn't the guy to start, in my opinion. But that's well, that's in the past. You know, we can't really talk about it anymore. Uh, game two, the Brewers are throwing Jules Chassin. There's your boy. I mean, we'll get to the names here in a second. So, plain and simple, who do you think is going to win this series? For the Rockies Brewers? Yeah. Uh, I think Rockies. I'm going to go Rockies. I'm going to be a little different. I think that. All they got to do is steal one game. I think they're going to win both games in Colorado. They just play well there. And Colorado, they get 
up for their sports teams there, whether it be mile high for the Broncos, whether it be at Coors Field, or whether it even be, you know, for hockey, they get, you know, they get everybody going once they get to the playoffs. Everyone, they, they sell out. So, you know, they, they care about their sports out there in Denver. They're like an anti-LA, basically. Yes, yeah. They, their teams, they got a lot of teams and they're there, but they, they get going out there for the teams, unlike the uh, LA, which is really just, you know, it's hard to pick against a team when they can roll out LeMahieu, Arenado, Story, Blackman, guys like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that you've swayed me at this point, and I think I'm going to pick the Rockies too, and I think Rocktober continues. Yeah, to the NLCS for them. It, definitely at least to the NLCS. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, jump over to the Atlanta at Dodgers series. What's uh, what's the name of the first starting pitcher for the Braves, Dave? Mike Fultonetsky. No, no. Fultonowitzki? Fultonevich? Fultonevich? Damn. Dave has struggled with this name forever. And it is. God, I'm, the... I'm going to surprise you when they make it to the World Series. I yeah, just crushed You're going to be like Fultonevich. I'm going to be like, what? Fultonev- I'm going to be like, no, it's Fultonevsky. Yeah, right. Yeah, Fulty, though. Yeah. Uh, That's what I Braves have written down. Weird. I have written down yeah, Fulty. <laughs> the Braves are a weird team. And here's why Young. Young and. Young pitch, young good pitching. You, we just talked about John Lester, right? Proved it. Madison Bumgarner proved it. Kyle Friedland the other night proved it. Don't know if he'll do it in this series against the Brewers. If he does, hell, he's he's up there too. But they need their Sean Newcombs, Fultzies, these guys. They need to go in there and dominate this Dodger lineup that can be dominated. They they've been dominated this year. Like the Brewers being the favorite in the Rockies series, but I feel like the Rockies have something going for them. I don't think they do. They, I don't think Atlanta does. I think the Dodgers actually win this series, which I didn't think they were going to make it out of that game, out of the playing game or the wild card. But they ended up winning their division. But I said in the last show, anybody that plays Atlanta, I think Atlanta really does win. I mean, Atlanta loses no matter what. You know what? I'm not as down on the Braves as you are. I don't think that they're going to win this series. Per se, but I don't think they get swept. I just don't think they. I don't think they win it. I think they're going to lose in four. The biggest advantage for the Dodgers and Dave Roberts is to have Clayton Kershaw actually pitching game two. That's huge considering Ryu's pitching today, and I mean the guy's been phenomenal since he came back from his groin injury. I mean, he's got a one nine seven seven and three eighty nine Ks a one hundred one WHIP, and that's in only eighty two innings. So. When you can throw that out there and also have Clayton Kershaw go in game two, how much of a pick-me-up is that? It's huge. And imagine if they go up two games to none, then you got you got to deal with Walker Buehler, yep. who has been great this year and was great during the the uh, playing game. So, And obviously has a lot of trust with the team as they started him that day. So, I mean, I think Dodgers win that series. They, they win it in four. I'd be shocked if Atlanta could just get at past the, you know, being young, being on the road. Swanson's hurt with that ligament in his in his hand and his thumb, and you know, Red Sox fans team Pedroia struggled with that over the years, and it's tough to swing when you can't hold the bat. Yeah. So Swanson's gonna have that issue if he even plays. We're gonna we're this series depends on really one person in my opinion because he's gonna probably get to pitch two games because they'll probably go to him on game five if they get there on short rest if Clayton Kershaw shows up and was the Clayton Kershaw that he was last year during the postseason this isn't a series no it's not at all and if they 
if the Dodgers win game one and Kershaw's Kershaw, they might get swept because yeah. Walker Buehler game three, you get all the momentum coming from Kershaw, and you know that, that he's you're gonna have to face him again at some point, even if it's in a bullpen situation, like he comes out for three innings or something like that. It, it's gonna be hard. After looking at Ryu's stats, I'm kind of leaning towards the fact that I think that the Dodgers might have the best rotation in the National League. But that might be just me. I think it's between the Dodgers and the Braves. Yeah, so, it's in this series. Let's put it yeah, that way. Yeah, this, this series is going to come out, and regardless of who they play in the NLCS, either team, they're going to have the advantage starting pitching-wise. I'm going to go Dodgers in five. You have uh, Dodgers, Dodgers in, in four. Yep. Just a little recap. You had Rockies in how many? We're going to go with five. They're going to win the last game in Milwaukee. Yeah, I'll say four. That way we can differentiate a little bit. Let's get to the exciting games, though. I mean, not that the National League's not exciting. There's just a whole bunch of juggernauts on the other side of the playoff bracket. Let's start with the what I think might be the best series, and that's actually Houston at Cleveland. Or- yeah, I well, yeah. I think it's going to be the best series as well. I mean, Red Sox, Yankees, here's the thing. If Red Sox and Yankees have that hate and that rivalry going again and that Tyler Austin, Joe Kelly feel to the games, it's going to be unbelievable for the Red Sox and Yankees. But I think pure lineup-wise, pitching-wise, you know. MVP he, candidates everywhere, former everything. MVPs, Cy Youngs. Yeah, former, yeah, Cy Youngs. I mean, even the former world champs are here. And then your former ALC, ALCS former winner. Former strikes away. Yeah, so you have two – the last two AL winners there going at it, and they're getting no talk about between the Red Sox and Yankees, between you know the Rockies and the Brewers. The Brewers knocking out the Cubs, and that game going into 13 innings. You know the Yankees. You know how many you know their home runs last night. They're not playing the Red Sox. Indians Astros getting no love. Might be the best series. Yeah, it's no eyes are on them at this point. Uh, Astro fans getting a little cocky. You know, and I don't think that they understand one in particular, at least, uh, how important managing is in October. Yeah, managing's huge. I think the managing is as close to even as you're going to get. I think AJ Hinch is a good manager. I think obviously Terry Francona is the best manager. So I think it's pretty close. You look at Aaron Boone and Cora, for example. I think Cora is an unbelievable manager. I think Aaron Boone is the manager of that team because he hit a home run 15 years ago. That's it. So. You know, I think I think it's very even. Uh, I think it's the most even series. Yeah, Indians and Astros. Tito, I think the thing with Tito is I have a feeling that AJ Hinch is going to kind of try to mirror him because think about the teams that they've played. That Astros team, right? Who who have they? Who did they play last year? They played John Farrell, who was awful. Yep, he was a horrible manager. I think we can agree yeah. on that one. Yeah, he was a bad manager. Joe Girardi, who was riding his basically riding into the sunset at that point. And nobody really knew that was going to happen. Wasn't a great manager. And then you get to you get to face rookie Dave Roberts in the World Series. So I don't think that this particular Astros team has played any any big managers to this point. No, they haven't played anybody that's going to outplay them, right? right. Any, Hinch yeah. is a good manager. Core was a great bench manager. So you had that where you look at Lovello when he was on Boston, now the manager of the Diamondbacks. Great bench manager. You know, really held that team together when when Farrell was out on his cancer stuff, and you know that's why he got a job. And same thing with Cora; he was the right hand man, and a lot of you know questions went from Hinch to Cora. What do you want to do? He said that Hinch did it. So it's going to be a really great series for that lineup wise. I give it to Houston, but not by much either, because 
the way Lindor, Jose Ramirez, and Edwin have been hitting, they have Josh Donaldson, so I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but if he has anything left in the tank, it's scary. And you look at you know the all-star lineup that they got in Houston, it, it's crazy. And then, I mean, pitching's got to be what, split down the middle? It's got to be. Yeah. Well, Carlos Carrasco starting game two, who's... I mean, we I get I think we get the worst out of Carrasco watching him pitch against the Red Sox because they kind of have his number. Yeah, but we have still his number, got a three against, three. So again, Carrasco, if he didn't play the Red Sox this year, would have under three ERA. You got to get put the, it like that. Got to get to the Astros bullpen. Got to get to the Astros bullpen because you're very rarely going to get to the starters when you go Verlander, Cole, and then are they going Keuchel? Probably. I'm so, assuming it. I'm just gonna I'm just take a snag at it. Yes. Yeah. So Trevor Bauer's back. That's huge. That's going to be big. He'll probably wind up being like the Charlie Morton of last year. He'll come in with that spin rate and kind of dominate. Uh, I'm going to take the Indians in five here. I think the Astros come in a little cocky and uh, the city of Houston gets shocked. I'm going to go with Houston in five because I think that the bullpen for Cleveland is not as deep as it was in 2016. And you don't know what you're going to get out of Trevor Bauer for multiple days. He hasn't looked good in multiple days in postseasons play before, in 2016, for example, although he's a new, different pitcher at this point. I think that Francona doesn't have the weapons out there. I don't know if Andrew Miller is going to be able to do what he did in 2016 again. So I'm going Astros in five. See, we do disagree, people. Yeah, see, it's not it's not always the same thing, especially when it comes to teams that we don't like and, and dislike, as Austin hates the Astros. Yeah, it's 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 just a Houston thing. It's yeah, not, it's, it's a rivalry. He lives... He lives down in Texas. It, it's very similar to Red Sox Yankees up here. It's get my you know, blood boiling. Yeah, obviously we know the Yankees are a very good team, but we just don't like them. All right, main event. Main event. <laughs> main event for sure. Yeah. Uh, after the slaughtering of last night, we have Yankees Red Sox once again for the first time since 2004. We all know what happened then. Uh, that was a lot of fun. I think I read something that the Yankees are like eleven and eleven to eight overall against the Red Sox in their postseason career, and I just commented what happened the last four. And so, Chris Sale, J. Happ, game one, Sox. I mean, he doesn't have great numbers against the Sox, but he's been pretty dominant his past couple. Yeah, I mean, J. Happ over his career has been a Sox killer, if you will. Just not this last- year. Not this year. And I think the Red Sox get to him. I really do. They got to him when he was in Toronto. And I just don't think I think the Red Sox are gonna get to him. I really do. I think I think the Sox win game one. I think they I think they have a favorable matchup there. And I think they had the first two games as favorable matchups, to be honest. You know, and don't get me wrong, I've been like the biggest David Price protector of of anyone, pretty much, for a while. Yeah, you're a big David Price guy. I'm a big David Price guy. I honestly don't know what we're going to get. I don't think anybody knows what we're going to get. David Price against the Yankees. It's in Fenway Park, so that is a big, big deal. So and that's the only reason why I think we have the matchup. If this was at Yankee Stadium, it would be David yeah, it'd Price. Yeah, be a slaughter. So, yeah, it wouldn't be good. So that's the good thing. He doesn't have to play the Yankees twice. He nope. might have to play the Yankees coming out of the bullpen in Game 5 if we get there. But it will also be at home. Yes, but we have to we have to think about this though. Which Chris Sale are we we gonna get? Are we gonna get the mechanically sound Chris Sale who was dominating and was on a legendary strikeout rate? You know, Cy Young candidate. And which David Price are we gonna get? Are we gonna get you know early season David Price? Are we gonna get David Price throughout his career against the Yankees aside from a couple starts this year? 
Yeah. I, I think we get good sale and good price. I really do. I think the chemistry of this team has changed. I think the attitude of it's changed. The culture has changed. The manager has changed. They're Philosophies ready. has changed. They're ready to go. They're sick and tired of losing. Look at, you know, a la Peyton Manning in 06. You know, sick and tired right. of losing Tom Brady. Finally got over the hump. Look at the Washington Capitals. Sick and tired of losing to Pittsburgh two years in a row. Getting knocked out of the playoffs, winning the President's Trophy, win, win the Cup. Go look at basketball. Look at LeBron. You know, sick and tired of losing to Golden State. Finally wins one, loses Celtics three out of four. Even. Still won. Celtics, same thing. So I think the Red Sox are ready to go. There's no bigger test than the Yankees, especially for them. I also think they win this series because they dominate the Yankees' bullpen. They have Chapman's number. Especially Chapman. They have Chapman's number. They can get to that bullpen better than anybody. They have home field advantage where they've been dominant this year. And... The pitching matchups. I Go mean, ahead and read through them real quick. Do you have them in front of you? Well, I have Chris Sale versus J Hap. Right. I have David Price versus Tanaka. Game three is Porcello versus Severino. Severino, thank you. Couldn't remember his name. And game four is Nathan Navaldi and CC Sabathia. Yep. I think that pit, uh, pitching Porcello at Yankee Stadium is genius. Just because of the fact that if his sinker is going right, very rarely are those balls going to get hit out of the park. He's a ground ball pitcher, has been pretty much throughout his entire career, and that sinker keeps the ball on the ground instead of you know a pop-up being a home run at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And The only thing I disagree with was I would throw Evaldi in Game 3 because of how dominant he's been against the Yankees this year. 16 innings pitch, no earned runs. Wow. I mean, he's been great. So in his first, in the first, I think he only faced him twice this year, correct? Uh, correct. No Sonny yeah. Gray on the roster, by the way, which sad Not to shocked. see if you're a Red Sox fan. But uh, yeah, true. Red Sox have long relief guys. Like, I mean, if we need Stephen Wright, we have Stephen Wright. If we need, you'll see Stephen Wright and Erod. Yeah, Erod. That, that was the next name coming out of my mouth. Erod. Erod loves playing the Yankees. Yeah. Another thing that you know, you might see Erod in Game Three. If Porcello struggles or throws a lot of pitches in the first three or four innings, say Porcello only gives up one run or none in the first four innings, but he's at 85 pitches at the four, you're going to see Erod in the fifth and sixth, maybe even the seventh. He's pitched great against the Yankees, pitched great at Yankee Stadium. Coming out of the bullpen, he can throw 100 pitches in three innings like he always does, but it won't hurt us in the long run. And if he can just bridge that gap to, I'm assuming, Brazier in the eighth. Yeah. And then Kimmel in the ninth. That can help. I don't think you're going to need that in games one or two. Games three or four, total question marks. You could see Erod in game three. You could see Wright in game four for multiple innings. Uh, I don't remember what you said. I have Sox in four. I think that uh, Nasty Nate gets the job done, and I think that if they do lose a game, it is game three. Uh, I think it's Sox in five solely because I have tickets to game three of the ALDS, and I want to see Sale beat the Yankees at Fenway. (laughs) Well, there we go. There we go. So that's pretty much the recap of every wildcard game. We kind of blew through it. Or every NLDS and ALDS game, we kind of blew through it. Um, I mean, underlying storylines, Red Sox looking for revenge, uh, being embarrassed the past two years, Astros looking to repeat, Cleveland looking to reestablish their dominance, Yankees trying to get back to the Yankees of old, you know? Yep. Trying to be trying to be the dominant Yankees that when postseason runs around team you don't want to play. Milwaukee trying to shake the tide in the NL Central, basically saying it's their division now. 
The Rockies trying to repeat some magic from 10 years ago. The Braves trying to establish the new, being the new Dodgers. Well, you establish know? being the, the 90s Braves all over again, basically. You know? Yeah. Just continuing to get to the NLCS and stuff like that. Dodgers trying to get back. I mean, they're trying to prove a point. They're trying to win a World Series without Corey, which is going to be pretty hard. But you've replaced Corey Seager with Manny Machado. You, you've arguably replaced Corey Seager with a better version of himself. Yeah, yeah, with a more power-hitting version of himself, at least. Yeah, yeah, at least. And the Dodgers are in win-now mode. Their window is closing. It is not going to be open for much longer, especially with Kershaw coming to free agency soon. You don't know where he's going to go. Is Seager going to be the same guy coming back? Are they going to re-sign Machado? Is he going to play they second got a lot base? Of is he going to play second base? You know, they're going to lose guys that they picked up in trade, so... You don't really know what's going to go on out there. Is Kenley Jansen ever going to be the same again? Chase Utley farewell tour. Yep. So a lot of different things with the Dodgers. But I'm looking forward to the series, looking you know, for the Red Sox. Everything. And in general, this is going to be a really good playoff. This is the best AL, you know, foursome in the past 10 to 20 years. It, it's easily. very rare that we get the four best teams. Yeah. Playing each other. Yeah. And unfortunately, look, they're all on one side. Yeah, because if you look over in the NL, the best four teams are not in it right now. Nope, because Chicago went home. Chicago went home. And arguably, you could even say the Cardinals since the second half have been a better team than maybe, say, the Brewers or something. But Well, not the Brewers, but the Braves. But you got the Braves, who in that division was not a good division this year, but they were the clear-cut winner of it. So you got a weak division in the NL East. You got the Dodgers, who are great. You got the Rockies, who kind of came out of nowhere. And you got the Brewers, who were the second-place team all year in the NL Central. So teams are hot in the NL for sure, but doesn't mean they're the best where the Red Sox and Cleveland and Nationals and Yankees have been hot and the best since day one. Uh, before we get to our interview, because I mean, I think this has lasted longer than we thought it would. Uh, we got to We got to thank you guys so much for all the support, man. Like moving to a different podcast. We didn't think that we would have as much success as we were having, but we were what top 11 on the sports and recreation charts at one point. Yeah, for our first episode. For our first episode with Michael Cantu. Stephen Bruno episode is flourishing right now. Appreciate all you guys' support. Thank y'all for supporting us coming from a different show. Starting our own thing, really. You know, it's a different yeah. voice, different different attitude, everything like that. Uh, guys like Austin, Justin, Nick, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you guys for participating, letting us know your feedback. But uh, you ready to get to the interview? Yeah, can't wait. It's a really good interview, and I think everyone's going to really enjoy a, a different perspective than we've had recently. Yeah, it's definitely a different perspective. I mean, we have a closer on, which, I mean, we've had uh, a utility infielder for the Iowa Cubs and Steven Bruno. We've had a former University of Texas catcher and current catcher in the San Diego Padres system and Michael Cantu. And now we have uh, Tommy Eveld. I mean, the guy is just straight nasty. Go look at his stats throughout the ni- throughout the minor leagues. The guy is nuts. Didn't play baseball, as you will hear in just a second, And after 10th grade in high school. Football player, athlete, and uh, here's the interview. Enjoy it. All right, Tommy, you're a Florida kid who didn't play baseball in high school or didn't play, base- didn't play baseball in high school after 10th grade? Because I saw two different deals. Um, after 10th grade, I played JV after my sophomore season. Gotcha. You're a damn good quarterback, you know, all-star games, all that mix. Who's an athlete, doesn't have to be baseball, obviously, that you looked up to growing up? Um, two, really. One, 
for baseball was Craig Biggio. He was the second baseman for the Astros. And uh, I just liked how hard he played. And he was always sliding, getting dirty, at pine tar all over his helmet, all over his bat. And I just thought that was real cool. And then football-wise, I would probably say Tom Brady. It was just the way he plays quarterback is just fun to watch. Yeah, I live in Texas, so Biggio's, Biggio's always been underrated to me. I mean, he's basically, yep. he was the Pedroia of his time, in my opinion, getting dirty all the time. Yeah, yeah he was he was unreal. I live in Rhode Island, so Tom Brady's music to my ears, as that guy is. <laughs> I owe him my whole life, so. After <laughs> <laughs> that, so, until you suffered a couple injuries in college at South Florida, you were playing football. You joined a men's league before you walked on to the baseball team at USF. What was your, the transition like from football to baseball? It's a completely different culture and world. Um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of a tough question because uh, when I switched sports, I was kind of playing both sports at the same time, which I think made the transition a little easier. But I noticed right away, like I couldn't keep working out with the football team and trying to play baseball at the same time. It was just too physically demanding. My, my body was just shot after a football workout, and then I had to go try and pitch. I just couldn't do it. And uh, I would say what what kind of like really helped was keeping the same mentality. So maybe not going into the weight room and doing the lifts the football team had me doing, but when I went into the weight room with the baseball team, I could take the same mentality I would take to a football lift into that baseball lift and saying when I'm on the field, I could take the same mentality from the football field and bring that onto the baseball field and that transition. Yeah, so it sounds like bringing that same intensity that yeah. you get well, without knocking somebody out. Oh, yeah. I play with very high intensity. <laughs> That's what we like to hear, though. Yeah, you need that, really. I mean, especially at the, the pro level. Uh, were you surprised that you could play baseball at such a high level after not playing for so long? I mean... You know, I don't pick up a video game controller for a day, and I feel like I'm lost in the world. But <laughs> a couple of years, played a whole different sport, and then you know became a professional athlete. Um, I mean, I messed around like in the front yard playing a wiffle ball, or running around playing street hockey, or just stuff to stay athletic that I didn't even realize I was staying athletic doing. So I think I would probably say playing a wiffle ball was what help my arm kind of stay in shape to throw a baseball I, I don't really know I'm kind of digging here um, but I was I mean I was a little bit surprised like my second season because my first season didn't really go that well I had like a 6.2 ERA I want to say and I was like okay well these guys can hit <laughs> and then uh, my second season i Halfway through the year, I had right around a one ERA or something, and I was like, just thinking, like, man, like, what what changed? Like, just from one season to another, now guys aren't hitting what I'm throwing. So, I mean, it, it wasn't really, like, a surprise that, like, oh, you're doing good. It was more like, like oh, how, like, how? Yeah, like that aha moment. Like, oh, okay. Like, I'm, now I'm kind of getting it. It's just kind of like, it leaves you speechless. It's like it's hard to put into words. I gotcha. Was there a moment in that probably that probably last season that you realized that you were probably going to get drafted? 
scouts from pretty much every single major league team started contacting me and sending me questionnaires and everything. And that was when I started to settle in like, okay, I got a really good shot at going pro after this season. So you were you were drafted in the ninth round by the Diamondbacks. How did that work? Is it a phone call what, did that they told you, or you know what was going through your head that day too? Um. So my last outing at USF, I actually got pulled out of the game by the trainer, and I left the mound holding my shoulder. And before that happened, all the scouts had been telling me that I was going to go early on day two, anywhere between the third and the fifth round. And then uh, once I sent out the MRI of my shoulder saying that, like, yeah, it's it's not 100%, but he's still, it's fine to throw. He just has a thrower's shoulder. Uh, some, some of the teams said, okay, well, we can't take you now. And other teams were saying, like, okay, yeah, that's going to drop you on our board. My, I guess, advisor at the time, like, look, just don't even watch the draft because you're going to see some guys go that you know you're better than and we know you're better than. It's going to be frustrating. Invite some of your friends over, go fishing, something to take your mind off it. So that's what I did. I had some friends over, we went fishing, and my agent called me and said, hey, we came to terms with the Diamondbacks. They're going to take you with their next pick in the ninth round. We drove the boat in, turned the computer on, watched it go down, and then uh, went right back out onto the my parents' pontoon boat and popped open a bottle of cocaine. Sounds good to me. Yeah, that sounds like the dream right there. I mean, there's not much better to be surrounded by your friends and family when you get news, especially that big of news. Yeah, I didn't want to throw like a big draft party and invite a bunch of people over because it wasn't guaranteed, especially with the, the way the draft is set up where there's three separate days. So I didn't want to throw a party on day two and then not go till day three. I would just would have looked quite stupid if I would have done that. No, I've, I've been to draft parties that someone was supposed to get drafted late and they drafted, and that was awkward. Signed <laughs> as a uh, you know an undrafted free agent, but was not the the same. You know. Yeah. So, what was the biggest adjustment from going from college to the pro level? Um, learning to throw every day is, without a doubt, the hardest thing going from college to pro box. In college, like you would throw twice or three times on the weekend, and the coach would tell you, "All right, don't pick up the baseball on Monday," and then probably give you Tuesday for the midweek game off, but. Pro ball's not like that. It's like they don't they don't care if you threw two games in a row or three out of four, like you have you have to at least play catch. So I'd say just learning to throw while you're sore and learning to play catch every day because pitching something where it's a lot of feel to where every single day during your throwing have to work on something. You can't just go out and play catch because you're not getting any better. And that would I would say that's the biggest jump for sure. Yeah, that seems like the biggest jump. I mean, you you see it in football. You see it with kickers, and you see kickers missing 40-yard field goals all the time in college. They take the next step to get drafted, and, you know, they're practicing all summer. They're kicking all the time, and then they're able to hit 50 and 60-yarders. And, you know, it's something little. But, you know, like you said, you can't just go out there and just close your eyes and play catch. you got to 
you got to try and make them make an improvement every day. So obviously by the D backs and last year you were part of the trade and it was a big trade as in you weren't a throwaway prospect, you weren't a guy at the bottom of the list just to fill a roster spot. You were the main piece of that deal. It was one for one for Brad Ziegler. What was your mentality like after that being traded? You know, for an established name, first of all, it's a big name. You won a World Series. And who did you talk to? Did you get a phone call from the owner? Was it agent? Was it, you know, your coach at the time? You know, was it the other team that, you know, drafted you? You know, how did that really go down and, and what kind of happened? So, I'll, I'll just start from the beginning. Um, had no idea what was going to happen. To be honest, I wasn't even wasn't even like in my head like oh, I might get traded. I was just so excited about the fact I had just been promoted to double A like six days before I was traded. So I was still living on that high of getting promoted. And then I get a phone call while I'm sitting in the hotel waiting on the bus to go to the field from the farm director from the Diamondback, Mike Bell. And he was like, hey, Tommy, I got good news for you and bad news for us because we just traded you for Brad Ziegler. And uh, he told me that it was just something they needed to do because they needed an experienced pitcher for their big league team for this season to finish the season and uh, that it was going to be a really good opportunity for me with the Marlins. It couldn't hurt going home, though, like going at least to your home state. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's always nice. I would say, like, while I was on the phone with him, it hit Twitter, and some of the guys on the team were coming down to my hotel room and knocking on the door just to say bye and say they're going to miss me and whatnot. And, uh, then when I hung up the phone, that was all going on. I was like, at first. I was kind of, like, indifferent about it. I was like, man, this kind of sucks. Like, I got a lot of friends here. And then once it sort of settled in, like, and guys started telling me, like, why it was a big deal, I started to get pretty excited about it. And then uh, now that I'm here, I'm, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I mean, you were the person that they wanted. And, like, and that's a big thing, you know, and especially for – you know, someone like you, you're a young guy, obviously, and you're not in your 30s or your 40s, and, you know, you got a, a great career ahead of you, but, you know, they wanted you. So that must make you feel like a million bucks going home, and you're like, you know what? I want that is not contending for a World Series right now, but in a couple of years, all these pieces they're trading for and these draft, you know, they're going to develop, and you guys are going to have a good, a good team out there. Yeah, for sure. I would say that, that now that it, I understand what it means to be traded. I'm I'm very thankful and grateful for the opportunity. But I mean, I was that was my third season in baseball or fourth season in baseball. So since my sophomore year in high school, so I didn't really even understand what it meant to be traded. But it took a little while for people to put that in perspective for me. All right, so. With you being a closer, you're very unique, in my opinion, being a closer with four pitches. Do you have an out pitch? You know, Rivera had his cutter. Chapman has his fastball. Kimbrell has his rising fastball. What do you consider to be your out pitch? Um, 
Because that power yeah, slider got, is sick. Yeah, I got I got two outpitches, I would say. And one of them is my slider, and my second one's a high fastball, which is, I would say, probably similar to Kimbrel's. I don't know what his spin rate is, but I learned this season I have a high spin rate so I could throw high fastballs by people. So you're looking like a Chris Sale for us Red Sox fans when you're just throwing nasty sliders and just banging people out upstairs. That's a good uh, his yeah. slide way bigger than mine. I think mine's harder than his, but his moves like a dang frisbee. Yeah, his is his looks like a wiffle ball out there. But you know the fact that you can you know be compared to you know even yeah, mine, mine gets mistaken for a cutter every now and then because I throw it really hard. But I say it's it's too big to be a cutter, but sometimes it's too small to be a slot. Somebody on the um, Marlins website actually compared it to Severino's slider just because it is so hard and it looks like a cutter sometimes, and I thought that was a pretty damn good comparison. Yeah, I'll be dead honest with you. I don't know who that is. Uh, Luis Severino, the Yankees uh, starting pitcher. All right. You know, I don't watch a whole lot of TV. You know what? It's funny you say that because I went to the University of Rhode Island and, you know, I had a couple of buddies get drafted and things like that. And I would, you know, watch their games and they would, you know, we'd watch film together and stuff. And they, I would say, oh, you look like so-and-so. And they would be like, what? And I'd be like, he got drafted last year in the first round. And he's like, yeah, man, I just play baseball. And I was like, I couldn't wrap my head around that at first. And I realized that you guys are so dedicated to the game and dedicated to your, like, careers that you don't care about that other nonsense. And I thought that was like the coolest thing to be like, wow, these guys are literally just focused on themselves and themselves all the time. That's just such a, a mental, you know, milestone to get to, I feel like. Yeah, it happens a lot with me. I, I think especially because I spent a lot of time out of the game all through college and into high school. And people bring up, like, a name in baseball. I was like, I don't know who that is. And they're just like, how do you not know who that is? And I was like, because I didn't, I didn't follow baseball five years. Yeah, you just work. Definitely nothing wrong with that. So I got the last question for you. It's a two-parter. The first one is, you know, something I was just thinking about was you're a closer, obviously, and you're going to be coming up to the system of a team that is going through a lot of changes in the organization. You look at a team in your state, in Tampa Bay, that also kind of going through the same thing. Kevin Cash down there, the manager, he's kind of incorporated the opener role this year where closer goes out, pitches an inning or two, and then he puts the starter in. Have you ever thought about doing that? Would you be comfortable doing that? Is it something that's never even crossed your mind now that it's been brought up? Or you know, how do you feel about that situation? Um, I think it's kind of brilliant. I mean, I've, I've read some of the tweets on the numbers that their pitching staff put up throwing an opener. Which, I mean, if your starters are struggling to get through the first inning, I mean, why not? Yeah. Would you be open to doing it if uh, the Marlins asked you to? Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I would say I'm a team player, so if the manager asks me to do something, I'm not going to tell him no. I'm going to just trust him that he's doing it for the, the best of the team and do it. That's a, that's a great mentality. My last question is, I know you you know, you know, haven't been in the game too long. You've been out for a while, but you know, who do you think is going to win the World Series? This yeah. Uh, I don't know. I've got no idea. 
That's you know a, we understand. Because the last time we talked about it, I said two different teams, and I think one of them is going to get knocked out in the wildcard game. So this year is probably the craziest it's been in a while where so many teams are loaded with talent that it's a question mark, basically, who's going to win. That's yeah. baseball. I mean, I mean, we just had a meeting the other day with Derek Jeter, and he was talking to us, and he said the best team doesn't always win the World Series. The, like the best organizations get to the playoffs every year, and then the hottest team wins the World Series. So, that's a, well, someone from that knows the game pretty well, and Derek Jeter, who has won his fair share of titles. Yeah, he said he's been on plenty of teams that weren't the best team. And then they ended up being the best team, and then he's been on teams where they were by far the best, but the other team was just hot. Well, Thanks a lot, Seth. Yeah, well, we appreciate you talking to us, man. Oh, no problem. All right, thanks, yeah. man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming up. Thanks for listening, you guys. We are Painting Corners. We can be found pretty much anywhere that you find your podcast. So if you have any problems with that, just let us know. Find a platform that we're not on. We'll get right on that. And hope you have a good day. Hope you like the show and let us know.